In light of what we will discuss this morning, let's take a few moments, stand together, and greet at least two people around you, and then we'll interact with God's Word. So greet a couple people around you. Hey, Travis. Sometimes get bored. <laughs> hey, Leroy. At least 15 minutes we gotta sit down. I'll just say it's, it's time to sit. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> you were in the. Uh, Teen young adult Sunday school class, you would have heard this. But occasionally I would do an experiment when I go to the hospitals. I go to visit in the hospital and I think, today I'm not going to greet anyone in the hospital other than the person I'm visiting, and I'm going to see how friendly people are. And I generally find that they're quite unfriendly. <laughs> but then other times I'll go and I think I'm going to say hi to everyone I pass in the hall. I get on the elevator, hello, how are you today? And if they work at the hospital, you your shift almost done, and so on. And I find in those days that people are very friendly. So when you think about going in public places, you think about coming to church, come with a mindset of reaching out, not merely taking it. It makes a difference. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for your word. Thank you for Christ as being at work in us. And thank you for the body of Christ. It's our desire to be attentive, to be hearers and doers of your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Here's a two-by-four or part of a two-by-four. What is the purpose of a two-by-four in building a house? What is the purpose of a two-by-four or multi-by-two-by-fours in a house? As your, pardon? Framing. What's the purpose of a hammer? I don't have a nail gun, so we'll use hammer. What's the purpose of a hammer? Pardon? Make you work. Make you work. You know, pound a nail in. If you're cooking, what's the purpose of a kettle? Pardon? Put the food in, cook it, and so on. Whether it be, whether it be a two-by-four hammer or a kettle, they're all designed to contribute. Two-by-four contributes to the structure of the house. A hammer contributes to the building of the house. A kettle to cooking, preparing a meal. There's some terms that are used in Scripture to describe the church, Christ's body, God's people, building in which the Holy Spirit lives, a holy temple, God's dwelling. Terms that are used... 
to describe the church. All of those terms tie in with contributing. A body cannot function unless each member contributes. God's people will not be what God designed unless they contribute. A building is not worth much unless each part contributes. A temple, each part contributing. A dwelling, again, each part contributing. We want to look at Ephesians 4 this morning, several verses from Ephesians 4. And as we do so, keep in mind the, the big picture of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14, Paul talks about who believers are in Christ. We come to faith in Christ. Talks about what we have in Christ. And that is so great that saints need wisdom to understand what we have in Christ and what that looks like in daily life. So in verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1, Paul prays for the believers that they might have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. In chapter 2, 1 through 10, he talks about the gospel. He explains where they were. They were dead in transgressions and sins. They were raised together with Christ. They were seated together with Christ and they're God's workmanship. The implication is then presented in chapter 2, 11 through 22, that they become one. They become a unit. They become a building. They become a house. They become the temple of God. In chapter 3, 1 through 13, Paul shares his intention, that is God's intention, that the wisdom of God would be shown to the spirit world. The spirit world would see the body as being a unit. And because that is one to grasp or difficult to grasp, he again prays for the church in Ephesus in chapter 3, 14 through 21, that they might grasp this unity, they might grasp that God is showing his wisdom to the spirit world through the body of Christ. Then in chapters 4 through 6, we have living the wisdom of God as we interact with one another. Now, in relation to chapters 4 through 6, he begins with community, fellowship, body life. And then he talks about marriage. He talks about parenting. He talks about children obeying parents. He talks about the slave, the master, the employer, the employee. He talks about the spiritual battle that we have. And I want you to grasp that in Ephesians, and it's not limited to Ephesians, that what he lists first is important for the second, and the first and second are important for the third. So if I'm going to be an effective employee or an employer, it's important that I be a good parent or a good child. No, if married or... It's important that marriage, if you're married, is in order. And it's important that you have community, you have fellowship with other believers. So the effectiveness of Ruth Ann and I in our marriage is dependent upon being part of other believers, relating to other believers, letting believers speak truth to us, to encourage us, to come alongside us. So each section builds upon the previous section, and they are to function as a unit as we live out God's desire. Let's read together Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 1. 
As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul has just concluded chapter 3, praying that they might grasp God's love. The Ephesians, and I think for us today, might understand the power that is at work in us with a power beyond what we can ask or comprehend. And then he says, I plead with you to live worthy of your calling. Live worthy of your calling. Now, what is a calling? He acts like they already know what the calling is. Look at chapter one or chapter two, rather, and verse ten. Chapter two and verse ten. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So our calling involves good works. We won't read the entire section. But in chapter 2, 14 through 22, our calling involves being one body, one people, one household, one building, one temple, one dwelling, living as a unit, taking the rich, the poor, the haves, the have-nots, the Jew, the Gentile, the tech-savvy and the non-tech-savvy, and bringing them together as a unit. Look at chapter 3, 10 and 11. What else is the calling of the believers in Ephesus as well as us? His, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. So part of our calling is that as a local body of believers, to live as a unit and display God's wisdom to the spirit world. And we find in chapter 6, he's talking about an evil spirit world, displaying to an evil spirit world, and I think also to angels, that you can take diverse people and in Christ they come together as a unit. In Christ, we are to be contributors, not consumers. We're to contribute to the body. We're to contribute to others, not having a consumer mindset. It's Christ's design for us to be contributors. Satan's design is for us to be consumers. Contributors are giving Consumers are getting. Contributors are what's in it for God, Christ. Whereas consumers, what's in it for me? Contributors longing for God. Consumers longing for self. Contributors, characters developed. Consumers think about things and stuff. 
live worthy of your calling. That involves contributing, not being a consumer. There's a folk tale that originated in the Canadian Northwest Territories. It's about a small pack of porcupines who huddle together to stay warm during the winter when the wind, winds blow. And as they huddle together, they begin to prick one another. So they pull apart. And the winds continue to blow and they get cold. So they begin to huddle together again and they begin to prick one another and pull apart. Do you ever stop to think about that? that's kind of like the body of Christ? We get close to people. And they prick us in some way, or we prick them, and we want to then pull apart. Ah, we're a body, we're to pull together, and we begin to prick. And I think that's why Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he says, be completely humble. Be completely humble. Not partially humble, be completely humble. And the idea involved in humbleness is, I cannot. I can't. Paul recognized that because he said in chapter 2, we're dead in trespasses and sins. At the end of chapter 3, he says, there's a power at work in you beyond what you can ask or comprehend. I can't. I can't live this Christian life. I need body relationships. That is the body of Christ. We need one another if we're going to live as God designed. Oh, you say, I can get along without the body of Christ. Maybe you can, but you're at a one when God wants you to be at a nine. We don't develop like he wants. We need the body. Humility means we admit we're dependent. We're dependent. Yes, this two by four, if what we're used in the house, may contribute but it's also dependent. It contributes to the structure, the framing of the house, but it's dependent upon a lot of other things. The foundation as an example. So in the body of Christ, we recognize in humility we're dependent. There's a dependency upon Christ displayed by dependency upon other believers. In chapter 4 and verse 14, when verse, yeah, 14, then will we be no longer infants tossed back and forth by every wave and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. We need one another. He has just explained we need pastors, teachers. He talks about speaking the truth. We need others in our lives. In Christ cannot be separated from the body of Christ. See, in humility, we step out. And we speak the truth to another person. God, I can't speak the truth 
to Jeff. And God says, I know you can't, but there's a power at work in you. You can, in dependency upon me, speak the truth. God, I don't like what Travis said to me. He was pretty hard on me. He pointed out something in my life that needs to change. I don't like this. And God says, I know you don't like it, and you don't handle it in and of yourself, but there's a power at work within you. You can change in light of what was spoken to you. That's the idea of humility. We need help if we're going to live out the balance of Ephesians chapter 4. In humbleness, we try to walk in someone else's shoes to practice compassion. Talking to someone the other day, and they were sharing some things they were through physically, and I, I could say, I think I understand at least a large percentage because of some things I've been through. See, humility means you can practice compassion. But humility also means that you say, God, I really blew it with my kids. I didn't respond correctly to them. I know I should apologize, but I can't. And God says, I know you can't. But there's a power at work in you beyond what you can ask or comprehend. You can apologize to your kids and ask their forgiveness because you're teaching them how to handle when they may do wrong. It will serve them well the rest of their life. So that's all tied in with humility. If we're going to walk worthy of our calling... We need to be in relationships. How is being humble being a contributor? Humble people don't step back and say, I have nothing to contribute. They step up and say, by God's grace, I can give to the body because I've been gifted. Don't need to answer this. You can think about it. Are we known as being a humble local church? Oh, yeah, there's Rory Brook. They're very, very humble. Are we known for being humble? Churches are known for all kinds of things. You know, they may have a ministry. They may have good music. They may have a nice building. Do you ever hear anyone say, Oh, yeah, they're a humble church. We don't, we don't even think that way very often, do we? But yet this is the first thing Paul says, walk worthy of the calling, be humble, completely humble. Are the rulers and authorities, Satan and demons, amazed at our humility? Is the spirit world saying, I don't understand Roaring Brook Baptist Church. They're a humble people. That doesn't mean you don't try anything. It just means you're Recognize you need God, you need others. Is our area knowing, known for being humble as a larger body of Christ? So you're in Lancaster County sometime and you say, well, I'm from the greater Wyoming Valley. And they say, oh, yeah, I heard about the church in Wyoming Valley. The 
body of Christ at Larger Wyoming Valley, they're really humble. Are we known for that? No. In the greater Wyoming Valley. Do we need to repent? I don't know about you. Individually, I know I have to repent quite often because I don't always model humility. You can ask my wife. As a body, are we humble? As a larger body, are we humble? Let's take a moment before we go on just to express something to God. Father, we know that you have called us to walk worthy of our calling. And the first item mentioned is humility. And if we're honest, we struggle with humbleness. We struggle with admitting our need for help. But we express to you a desire to be humble. For your glory and for the glory of Christ. In Christ's name, amen. Paul goes on and says, walk worthy recalling by stating, be completely gentle. The idea of gentleness is accepting dealings from others, responses from others as being useful and profitable. That kind of grates the wrong way. Responses from others as being useful and profitable? You mean to say when someone hurts me, I'm going to count that as to be useful and profitable. That's tied in with being gentle. Tied in with being gentle is remaining under or with rather than defending, demanding, striking, or withdrawing. The remaining under, that is remaining in the circumstance, remaining with the person, rather than backing off and saying, I don't want to be part or striking out to drive them away. I'll give some examples in a few moments. An opportunity to be one rather than an obstacle to unity. An opportunity to display unity rather than an obstacle to that. It's thinking, how am I to contribute to the building of the body of Christ? It's a refusal to walk away or just to tolerate. You ever been lied to? And you find out later you were lied to? Well, I'll just back away from them. No. It's an opportunity for you to go to them in gentleness and to talk to them about their lying so that they can be built up and so that you can be built up. Someone expresses cutting words to you. You know, they give you a piece of their mind that they really don't have to part with. Well, if that's the way they want to be, if I see them, I'll tolerate them, but that's where it stops. Paul is saying, no, be gentle, remain under, don't withdraw from them, don't demand, rather in love, talk to them so that they may mature 
And you may mature. How about a coworker? Do you ever have a coworker that just rubs you the wrong way? You probably could give scads of illustrations of coworkers that aren't real nice. Gentleness accepts that and responds in a way that is for the building of your life and the other person. Gentleness. You ever think about gentleness in the context of a marriage? Or parents and children? Ruth Ann has been very gentle with me over the years in quite a few areas. And I think if you ask her, she would say Dan has changed quite a bit because she didn't withdraw. She was gentle. Some of you sitting here, I could give you specific examples where you responded in gentleness to me, and as a result, I'm more mature. There's some people sitting here, and if I were to mention your name, you would probably say, oh yeah, I remember talking to Pastor about that. You came to me and you talked to me about some things, about my person, my character. You came in gentleness. You didn't want to withdraw. And you said, well, that's just the way he is. You came, you spoke to me. And I think in most cases I heard you. And we both matured as a result of that. That's gentleness. Johnny was a handsome boy of 16. When the shadow of brain cancer fell across his life, he majored in math and chemistry at the Deerfield Academy and was a straight-A student. During the 14 months after the diagnosis, he endured two operations. Even after he passed, or I'm sorry, experienced a second operation, he passed the grueling entrance exams for Columbia University. Two weeks after being accepted at Columbia, young Johnny died. The character of this brave young man was revealed following the first surgery. The doctors explained the life-threatening seriousness of the boy's condition to Johnny's parents, John and Francis. What should we tell Johnny about his condition? They asked the surgeon. He's so bright and so curious about all that's happening to him, the surgeon replied. He really wants to know everything that's happening to him. So I think I will be honest as a surgeon with him. The parents agreed. The surgeon went to Johnny's room alone and explained to him the seriousness of his illness. The boy listened very attentively throughout the explanation and then said to the doctor, Doctor, how shall we break the news to my parents? That's gentleness. Thinking about the other person what's best for them when he was dying. Are we known as being a gentle local church? Are the rulers and authorities amazed at the gentleness in our local body? Is the body of believers in the Wyoming Valley known for being gentle? 
So you're out at Pittsburgh and you happen to see someone and you get to talking with them and they say, oh yeah, where are you from? And you say, well, I'm from the Wyoming Valley. Oh, Wyoming Valley. I heard about the Wyoming Valley. What would you hear about it? Well, I heard that the body of Christ in the Wyoming Valley is very, very gentle. Paul is calling us to walk worthy of our calling. Humble. Gentle. Again, let's pray. Father, we express to you uh, the fact that we struggle many times in being gentle. We confess we sin when we're not, but we also express to you a desire as a body of believers to be gentle. In Christ's name, amen. You'll have to decide if we have to repent in that area. But Paul says, be humble, gentle, be patient. The idea of patience is being willing to suffer a long time facing injury, injustice, hassle, relational struggles. You just hang in there. It's a calm spirit or an attitude that refuses to hurt others to hurt in return. It's an expectation of moving toward being that is displaying the holy temple, not toleration. Well, I'll tolerate this person. No, you're building a beautiful temple, or God is building a beautiful temple. It's remaining with the local body, remaining in relationship, accepting others where they are, but desires that they will experience God. And Christ, patient people contribute to community. Do you ever someone speak harsh words to you? You're to be patient with them. You stick with them. And that may mean you need to talk to them. Patient doesn't mean you just let them go on in wrongdoing. But you're patient with them. You hang with them. You have hope that there's going to be change that would take place in their lives. A husband may say, my wife is not following me. She's not a compliment to me. She's not submitting to me, as Ephesians 5 would say. I think I'll just distance myself a little from her. Paul says, no, be patient. Remain in relationship. Draw close to her. Love her as Christ loved the church. Let me work. A wife may say, my husband is very unloving and very uncaring. He really doesn't love me as Christ loves the church. I think I'll just pull away. Paul would say, walk worthy of your calling. Be patient. Let me work on him. As you read the balance of Ephesians 4 and then into chapter 5 and chapter 6, we're called to be patient. And again, that doesn't mean we don't, we don't talk to people about issues, but we patiently hang with them, expecting that as a body, 
we move to greater and greater Christ-likeness. I think of the lady that I know who experienced extreme hardship in her growing up years. She had entered into a marriage and experienced hardship for years. If you think you have it hard, multiply that by about ten times. She repeatedly wanted to say, I'm done with this, excuse the term, jerk. She was counseled over and over again because of the circumstance, stick with the guy. She was not being physically abused and so on. Stick with him, focus on yourself. Realize the power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. A power beyond what you can ask or comprehend is at work in you. She patiently endured. Went through some other family issues and patiently endured. With people coming alongside her to encourage her, to put their arm around her, to pray with her, to comfort her. Hang in. Today, that lady... Is an older lady. But a beautiful lady of deep character. Has much to offer young people. Has matured tremendously. And has seen her husband change. Not because of pressure from her. Because of the body putting some pressure. Kindly and gently and humbly on him. And God worked. That doesn't always happen, but in this particular situation, it did. But she just patiently endured. Patient people are contributors. Impatient people are consumers. Think about your life. Who do you struggle with being patient? Again, a question. Are we known as being a patient church? Oh, yeah, you're from Roaring Brook, aren't you? Yeah, oh, yeah, I heard about your church. You're really patient with one another. Are the rulers and authorities amazed at our patience among us? The demonic world... The angelic world is saying, my, I don't understand those people. They're so patient. How'd that happen? And they have to conclude that the wisdom of God, the gospel is at work. That they, the gospel takes these people who are prickly to one another. But we're still committed and we care for one another. Is the larger body of Christ in the Wyoming Valley characterized by being patient. I remember being down home one day and uh, we were talking some and where do you, where do you live now? And oh, Wyoming Valley, Wilkesbury area and so on. Oh, that's the county where they have all the problems with the judges, isn't it? 
I had to admit that was true. But what if they had said, oh yeah, Wyoming Valley. I knew someone that lived there for a while, and I worked with them for a while, and they were telling me about how great the churches in the Wyoming Valley, that the churches in the Wyoming Valley are really, really patient. Now, that would be a different, you know, perspective and take. Do we need to repent? If we think about the body of Christ... Think about our own lives. Think about our family. Paul says, walk worthy of your calling. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. I don't think we have arrived. Individually or as families or as a body. But let's move in the right direction. And as we're moving in the right direction, keep going. As this passage is is applied, we change. I was thinking about doing it for this morning. I'm not sure if I will next week. I was thinking about sharing about myself. Where would I be today if I had left Roaring Brook every time I thought about it? You say, oh, you thought about leaving Ryan Brook at times. Yeah, you pricked me sometimes, and I pricked you sometimes. Just go somewhere where it's easier. Well, it's not easier any other place, I don't think. (laughs) But through humility of people, through gentleness of people, through patience of people, over the 40, almost 40 years that I've been here, God has taken a lot of rough edges off my life. But if I'd walked away, when there were some tough times, after a year, we won't discuss years at this point in time, I would have become more proud and so on, and more arrogant, and more self-sufficient. And think about the body as that way. That is, we remain as a body. Humility, gentleness, and patience, we mature. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We desire to be faithful. And we know that Paul is writing to a church that has been in existence for at least a period of time, not real long, But yet he calls them to walk where they're calling, to be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another, striving to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And we know that we're called to the same. We have not arrived, Father, but may we be willing to be molded more and more deeply into a temple, into a body, into a building, that is displaying to the spirit world your wisdom which is found in the gospel. May we be open and sensitive to your work among us and open and sensitive to one another as we seek to apply this passage for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.